couple of years ago, Susan and I went to see this movie. At the climax of the movie, there's this really intense scene and this discussion about hell, and it raises the question, do you believe in hell? After the movie, we went out to this restaurant, the Elephant Bar in Belmar, and I just sat there and couldn't stop weeping. I couldn't stop weeping because I think the spirit was messing with my heart, wouldn't leave it alone, and it mattered. And I just need to tell you, I'm scared to talk about this because it seems to get me in trouble. (laughs) And because I don't want you to think this is what the sanctuary is all about. And yet, in a way, this is what church is all about. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The church is all about storming the gates of hell with the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, this is, this is what I ask, that you would be glorified in Christ Jesus, your Son, that you would be glorified in your word and that we could preach it. Lord God, you know that this topic has been, uh, has been a pain for me. And so I just pray that this would not be about me, but be about you. Because, Father, you are so good, and we don't see you. In Jesus' name, then, I pray, Lord God. Amen. This picture is a wall panel from the palace of the king of Assyria. It was taken out of the ruins of the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is just across the Tigris River from modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Assyria was a bitter enemy to Israel, not totally unlike the situation today. It was Assyria that conquered and... uh, dispersed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. This panel pictures the conquest of a town named Lachish, I think that's how you say it, in 701 B.C. that was in Judea. The soldiers in the panel are pictured skinning their prisoners alive. Nineveh was infamous for her cruelty. And Nineveh was also infamous for the worship of Ishtar. Ishtar was also known as Nina, the river goddess whose emblem was uh, a fish, the fish. The ideogram for the city of Nineveh, which is like this uh, picture, means place of fish. It was an enclosure with uh, fish inside. Nuna is Aramaic for fish. Well, Nineveh was like, you know, fish city. This panel is currently housed at the British Museum. This is a picture of Susan and I at the British Museum about two years ago. We saw all the incredible artifacts from Assyria and Babylon as well as uh, Israel and Egypt. 
In one room, Susan walked past this ancient stone idol, and she said she heard a voice that kept saying it over and over again, mine, 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 mine. My wife hears the wildest things, and she told me about that after 10, 15 minutes or so, and I said, where is it? Where is it? I'm going to take a picture, and she wouldn't let me see it because she didn't want me messing with the thing. You know, Paul said that when pagans serve idols, they really serve demons. In other words, the Assyrians were imprisoned to the idols that they served. That's important for us to remember, not just Assyrians. And so their cruelty, you see, I don't think it was simply their own. It was demonic. They had been consumed by Nina, the principalities and powers of this present darkness. If you've ever seen a demon manifest in another person, you begin to realize that we have far less control than we think. And we are far less capable of judging others than we know. Well, Nineveh was undoubtedly a wretched place. If you've ever been to Auschwitz, if you've ever walked among the bones of the killing fields, If you've ever been ritually abused or journeyed with those who have, you've tasted Nineveh, a reality that we can really only describe as hell. Well, Assyria was Israel's greatest enemy. The prophets, priests, and kings, they they must have viewed themselves as, you know, watchmen or border guards against the darkness, guarding the kingdom from the darkness. Now our text, this is Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil, their trouble, has come up before me. Go to Nineveh, says the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 23, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. When the Jews thought of the word of God, the word of Yahweh, they thought of fire. Like Elijah said, our God is the God who answers with fire, by fire. Remember on the mountain, God spoke to the Israelites out of the fire. Over and over, scripture says our God is a consuming fire. The breath, spirit, the word of Yahweh is fire. I want you to remember this idea, okay? It's important. So I want you to think of this idea over here, all right? Fire. The light. Our God and his word. That's the fire. Think of it right there. One more verse, Isaiah 30. The Lord will cause men to hear his majestic voice. With raging anger and consuming fire, the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. The fire is the presence of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, the revelation of our God. Next verse. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that weird? I mean, wouldn't you think that if the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, hey, Jonah, it's time to go to Nineveh, Jonah would be like, yeah, at last, word of the Lord, fire and brimstone stuff, end of Nineveh, right? But no, Jonah flees. How come? Well, maybe there's some darkness in Jonah. And maybe this fire is a bit different than uh, what we would imagine. Strange. Scripture says God is fire, and Scripture says God is holy. That means he's holy fire. Holy fire means strange fire, weird fire, fire that doesn't simply do what you expect it to do, not regular kind of fire. Holy fire. The word of the Lord. The word of God. The word of God. Who is the word of God? Class, come on. Jesus, yeah, you know that one. Jesus is the word of God. That's what, that's what we say. We're Christians and all that stuff. And do you remember when Jesus sent his spirit on Pentecost? It descended on the new church and it came as what? Fire, yeah. And the fire did fill the temple. And the fire did consume the sacrifices. But it was weird fire. It was holy fire. It may be burning right now in your heart. Let's hope so, because you're to be a living sacrifice. Well, Jonah, Jonah wants some burning kick-ass Irian fire, you know what I mean? And yet Jonah's been around long enough to know that God's fire, God's word is strange. It's holy. So he flees. He flees from the fire. And where does he go? Tarshish. He goes to the sea. Now, Tarshish is probably a place name, but uh, scholars think it basically means the open sea. And that, in fact, is where Jonah goes. He goes to the sea. And for the Hebrews, the sea does not mean Santa Barbara, okay? I mean, the sea um, means something else. The, the sea was a picture of the void, of chaos, the home of Leviathan and the uh, demonic. That's why the legion of demons, remember when Jesus cast them out, the pigs ran down into the sea, right? And that's why it was such a huge deal when Jesus was asleep in the boat on the sea. And why it was incredible when he stood up and he calmed the sea, because it wasn't just the sea. And then it was so cool when he walked on the sea. It's a picture of the abyss, the deep, the dark, Sheol. I want you to think of that idea over here, okay? Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word. Hades is the Greek word that translates the word Sheol in the Septuagint. That was the Greek version of the Old Testament and also in the New Testament letters, Hades. In the King James and other translations, Hades and Sheol are usually translated 
Hell. Okay? Hell. But I want you to see something hugely important. This fire and this Sheol are not the same thing. Got it? In fact, if you want to get away from the fire, you run to the Sheol, to the darkness. Job talks about hiding from God's anger in Sheol. But Amos says, even if you hide in Sheol, God's hand will take you. Deuteronomy says, his fire burns even to the lowest Sheol, the lowest hell. To run from God is to run into hell. Hide in hell. And that's what Jonah gets. Hell. Well, as you know, out on the sea, a great storm rises. But Jonah is fast asleep. The sailors, they come and they wake him up in in a panic. And Jonah, uh, he convinces them finally that he's the problem. As a last resort, they take Jonah and they throw him into the deep. They sacrifice him. And he descends into Sheol. And when they do, the sea is suddenly calm. Chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah sinks into the abyss and he's swallowed by this great fish. In Aramaic, in Aramaic uh, Nuna, a great Nuna prowling the deep like Nina, the fish goddess. That's kind of weird, huh? So running from God's call to go to the great Nineveh, he's swallowed by the great Nuna that looks like the great Nina. Now listen, Nina just wants to consume him for dinner. Just like Satan wants to consume you. And yet... Nuna and Nina, like Leviathan and Satan, ultimately they are under the Lord's command. The Lord sent the fish. Well, on the third day, having descended into the abyss, Jonah prays. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, the King James says, out of the belly of hell, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, the King James also translates that word Sheol as pit or grave. Many modern translations uh, don't uh, use whole or hell. They, they talk about Sheol and, and the grave. Um, some of them just use Sheol because grave doesn't match very well with uh, what we think of as the grave. Um, and uh, Sheol doesn't match very well with what we think of the word hell. In fact, in most uh, new translations, you can't find the word hell in the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament refers to Sheol with the Greek word Hades, like I said. This is actually a picture that I took, um, a picture of the gates of Hades, what was called the gates of Hades in Jesus' day. That's Sharon Hirsch right there and Allison Bristow. 
I don't know what Allison's doing. I think Sharon's running from the gates of hell, or maybe she's running <laughs> from a picture that I'm taking of her. And yet Jesus said the gates of Hades would not prevail against his church. He said it here in Caesarea Philippi. If you see, Scripture describes Sheol or Hades as under the earth or the depths of the sea. It describes layers in Sheol or Hades. Job writes that we can't come up from Sheol. We don't have the ability The psalmist describes it as a place where none can remember God and none can give him praise. Solomon says there is no work, thought, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol. I think that means there's no faith in Sheol. In other words, no one believes in hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there is no belief in hell. A person in hell is trapped within themselves in unbelief. Belief is what connects us to other persons and things outside of ourselves. A person in hell is trapped in darkness, lies, and unbelief. And now check this out. According to scripture, Sheol begins in this world. Even if it continues uh, into the grave and on to the next. In Psalm 118, David writes, The cords of Sheol entangle me. For Jonah, Sheol began in Israel when he wouldn't trust the word of the Lord. Jonah chose to run into hell. He chose to run into hell, but now he's driven into hell. Next verse. For you cast me into the deep, he cries, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away, I'm driven away from your sight. He gets his wish, and he hates his wish. You know, it's our fallen nature to run and hide from God, isn't it? Ever since the garden, ever since we hid in the in the trees, and yet the snake is waiting in the trees. You know, maybe God lets him bite us so we won't be at home in the darkness. You know, when you hide your sin, when you hide yourself from God, you literally become food for the evil one. And God allows it. Not because he doesn't love you, but because he loves you. Remember what Paul says about the guy who was proud of his sexual sins in the church in Corinth? It's the verse that no one likes to talk about. Paul says, deliver that man up to Satan. (laughs) Ouch. Why? For the destruction of of the flesh. That is the sinful self, the self that believes only in the self, the self trapped in itself, its own hell. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. God loves Jonah, so he delivers him to the belly of the Nuna. 
the belly of Sheol. And now get this, because this is a shocker. That word belly, it's normally translated, the word in verse 2, belly, is normally translated womb. (laughs) Wombs are for giving birth to stuff. Good stuff, like life. Next verse. I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, the underland, the underworld, whose bars closed upon me forever. Did you get that? Forever. I don't think we understand the biblical concept of ever very well. Forever, not ever, never. You know, the word translated ever is the Hebrew word olam. Olam is translated as ion in the Greek. Ion is where we get the English word eon. It means an age or a long period of time. It may even mean all of time, all chronological time. And yet in Scripture... All chronological time comes to an end. Who's the end? Class? Jesus! He's the beginning and he's the end. It comes to an end on the day of the Lord Jesus, who is the word of God, the manifestation and the presence of the holy fire. In Corinthians, Paul says that we are those, get this, we are those who have come to the end of the ages, the end of the eons, the end of the evers. The end of the evers has come upon us. And who's the end? Jesus. The word of God, the fire of God, the immortal, unquenchable, eternal fire. Now listen to Jonah. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. You did it. I didn't do it. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He remembered. And he prayed in hell. How did he do that? David writes, in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Great question. Who? You know, in the Old Testament, all kinds of folks go to hell. That is Sheol. Samuel, David, Solomon, the nobility of Jerusalem. Indeed, all are expected to go there. But no one praises God there other than Jonah. But now Jonah didn't just do that, I think, by his own strength. Actually, no one does. No one does it by their own strength in hell or in Denver. David says it. Paul says it. None is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So how does Jonah? Well, have you noticed that Jonah's story is kind of familiar? I mean, he's asleep in a boat in a storm He calms the storm. He's sacrificed 
to save others. He descends into hell for three days, and when he speaks there, his words are the word of God. I mean, they're in scriptures, the word of God. He sounds like Jesus, and Jesus is the word of God. You know, the New Testament tells us, and the Apostles' Creed tells us that Jesus descended into the lowest parts of the earth, to the spirits in prison, into Sheol, and that he led a host of captives free. How else could David and Samuel, Jonah and Moses, how else could all those other guys get out of there? Remember when Jesus died? Another weird verse we never talk about in Matthew. The tombs are open. The gates of Hades, open, broken. And when Jesus cried out, he cried, it's finished, it's done. You see, he's the end. And yet before that, he cried, my God, my God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's the first line of a song. Psalm 22. I believe he started singing it on the surface of the earth, nailed to that cross, but he finished it in hell. The psalm describes crucifixion. And yet it is a prayer. And the prayer kind of sounds like Jonah's prayer. It ends with these words, and I quote, Before him, this is Psalm 22, Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It's finished. Nobody believes in hell because hell is not believing. Nobody that is except Jesus who descends into our hell. And what does he do there? He believes on our behalf. Jesus believes in hell, our hell. We are saved by the belief, the faithfulness, the faith of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word that descends into the abyss of our hearts and returns to the Father as words of confession and praise upon our tongues. What Jonah spoke in hell, you see, is the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus. And Jesus is the way. He is the only way. There is only one way to God. Got that? Only one way to God. But listen closely. We, the American church, the religious establishment, the powers that be, we do not own the way or control the way or dictate to the way where he can go and where he cannot go. For lo and behold, the way has already descended even into the depths of hell. The way has descended into the land with no way. The truth has descended into the land with no truth but lies. The life has descended into death. The light has descended into darkness. Your darkness. That's good news. Next verse. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, says Jonah. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols, literally empty nothings, forsake their hope of hesed, mercy, covenant love, and God is love. God is fire. God is holy. God is love. The fire is holy, burning love, mercy. The fire is love that ultimately consumes all that is not love. I think there's another way to say it. God who is love will fill all things, just like Paul said. God who is love will fill all things and all that he does not fill is nothing. So to believe in God's love, is to be saved. To deny God's love is to run into nowhere and nothing. Nothing because God's love is everything. For everything is created and sustained by love. Through his word who became flesh And we wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. His name is Jesus. All, everything is created and sustained by mercy. God's grace in Christ Jesus. And until you believe that, you're lost. Apolumi, destroyed, perished, lost. And that you that is lost must die. The you that tries to save you, redeem you, own you, create you, that independent, arrogant, hellish you must die. The you that runs from the fire of God's mercy must be sacrificed. Next verse. Jonah says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And this is the sacrifice. This is the vow that Jesus helps Jonah make. He cries out, salvation belongs to Yahweh, the Lord. In other words, I can't save me. My good deeds cannot save me. My nationality cannot Save me. My free will. Don't even know if I have one, but my free will can't save me. Listen, Americans, he's saying, my choice cannot save me. My choice does not save me. The Lord God, Yahweh, saves me. We are saved 100% by grace, working through faith, and this not of ourselves, lest none should boast. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In Hebrew, the word salvation is pronounced like this. Yeshua. Is that cool? Yeshua is also a name. In English, the name is Jesus. Jonah cries, Yeshuata le Yahweh. Basically, Jesus is Lord. Next verse. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jodah out upon the dry land. The waters parted, and he found himself standing on dry land. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, or a three-day visit, Jonah began to go into the city, giving, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, literally overturned, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Wow! We're talking Nineveh! And get this, Jonah was three days in the belly of Nina. And the word came to him. And Jonah was three days in Nineveh, and the word came through him. Just like Jesus, Jesus says, was three days in the heart of the earth. And he is the word. He rescued Jonah from Nina, that is from hell. And now he uses Jonah to rescue the Ninevites from the very same thing. I think God is teaching Jonah compassion. For we only love because he first loved us. He's making Jonah trust mercy, who came to us as Yeshua. And Jesus said it. Listen to what Jesus said again. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this verse, but I'd advise really believing this stuff Jesus says. He says this, Truly, as you did it not... To one of the least of these, you did it not to me. That means when we ignore those that are on the other side of the border, we ignore Jesus. When we're content to leave others in hell, I think we leave Jesus in hell. When we refuse love, when when we sin against him, we... We nail him to the tree and we cast ourselves into hell. And yet, even there, he's waiting for us. And so I sat at the elephant bar in Belmar. And I just, I started crying and I I couldn't stop. The movie we saw was called The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada. It's based on a true story. A young border guard named Michael Norton thinks that a shepherd named Melchiades might have shot at him, even though Melchiades was shooting at some coyotes. Well, in his fear, he guns down Melchiades. And then in his shame, he buries the body in a shallow grave. Melchiades is a Mexican. Norton is a border guard. He thinks he's guarding the kingdom of America from the forces of darkness, but really he's guarding the forces of darkness in his own soul. Norton is unable to love. He's into porn and rough sex with his new bride. He he really only sees himself and does not believe and anyone else. At one point, his wife says he's irredeemable, irredeemable. Well, coyotes dig up the body of Melchiades, and Pete Perkins, Melchiades' friend, discovers that it was Norton who shot him. 
The local authorities, the powers that be, won't prosecute because, you know, he's one of them. So they bury Melchiodas's body in the second time in a shallow grave or a deeper grave, a deeper Sheol in town. And Norton only becomes more mean until one night P. Perkins, played by Tommy Lee Jones, kidnaps Norton. He makes Norton dig up Melchiodas's body. And then he forces Norton to take a journey with him through the wilderness on a descent into Mexico to bury the body of Melchiades Estrada. On the way, he makes Norton put on Melchiades' clothes. He makes Norton drink from Melchiades' cup. He makes Norton understand. Sit down at this table, in that chair. Melchiades lived here. That was his best. Kept his clothes right over there. That was his plate. That was his cup. Drink it. Drink from that cup. journey, Norton is bit by a serpent, and Pete Perkins allows it. They cross the river into the far country. There, the very people that Norton had brutalized and hated, they end up saving him, saving his life. Finally, Perkins finds Melchiades' little stone house in Mexico, and he makes Norton rebuild the house. Then he has Norton dig the grave, the third grave, his third journey into Sheol, and then this happens. What? Ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness right now. I go to hell right now. I don't believe in hell. I'm sorry. I swear to God, I'm sorry. I swear to God, I swear to God, I did not mean to kill him. That was a mistake.
I didn't want it to happen. <laughs> that hurt me. I, I regret it every single day. Forgive me. Forgive me. Melchior. For taking your life, forgive me. You can go now. Where? To your wife. Killing me. You can keep the horse. Sorry. Will you understand why I just couldn't stop weeping? Norton doesn't believe in hell. But he's kneeling in front of a tree in hell. On the tree is a picture of Melchiades. Norton put Melchiades on that tree with his sin. And there in the pit of hell, in front of the one he nailed to the tree, Mike Norton's hellish heart finally cracks. And then for the first time in the movie, he falls asleep. In the morning, Pete Perkins says, you're free. And then he calls him son. You understand why I couldn't stop weeping? I've thought about it a lot. I think first I was weeping over the goodness and beauty of our Lord who is love, who descends into our hell in order to storm the gates of our hell and help us believe. Even Sheol is a function of his mercy. So you see, my Father in heaven is not interested in torturing a group of people for all eternity without end. I don't think he's interested in that. I think Satan is. 
but my father is not. My father's not into torture. <laughs> He's into creating sons, making men and women into his own image and likeness, and he is mercy, Hesed. I wept at how deep God's love is and how much we hate it. I think we hate him. And that's because we're bound to determine that salvation will belong to us. I do it. I get credit. That is, we're addicted to hell. It seems to me that there's no topic more offensive to what we call the church, which includes me. No topic more scandalous and offensive than God's mercy. In other words, Jesus Christ and him crucified really is the offense of the world and the church infected with the world. Jesus said, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. It certainly appears then that those who are in most danger of being cast into hell are those that just don't care whether or not other people are there. Or maybe even delight in the idea that they are. In other words, self-satisfied religious people. Like Jonah. Like the Pharisees. And sometimes like, like me. Well, I think you know the rest of the story. Jonah preaches. The people repent. Ironically, the fire comes. It comes in the word that Jonah preaches. And the city is overturned in the form of repentance. And yet Jonah's furious. He's just angry. He finally confesses as to why he's angry and why he fled. Chapter 4, verse 2. He cries out, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, hesed, mercy, love, kindness. The story ends with Jonah resentful, sitting outside the city, just like the story of the prodigal son ends with the older brother resentful and standing out in the field. And we don't know if he's going to join the party of grace or sink once again into hell. Now, I should tell you before we end that Nineveh did sink again into her hellish ways. You can read, I think it's in the book of Nahum, tells you about it. And yet her hell did not go on endlessly. In 607, Nineveh was destroyed and consumed with fire. In 586, Jerusalem was destroyed and consumed with fire. The prophets tell us that the whole world will be destroyed and consumed with fire. Revelation 20, verse 13. And the gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sheol is thrown in the end into the lake of fire. If anyone is thrown into the lake of fire with it, Perhaps they are consumed and they cease to exist. Or perhaps they are consumed and then made new. For Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. But get this. Jesus is the judgment. His blood is consuming fire and he is unquenchable love. Now let me tell you, there's... One more word that gets translated as hell in the New Testament. The word is actually in the Old Testament, but it doesn't usually get translated this way. It's called the Valley of Hinnom or Tophet in the Old Testament. The word in the New Testament is Gehenna. And this is an actual photograph of Gehenna. Can you see that? I was there last year. This is a barbecue in hell. And I think they're having chicken. You see, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, is the valley that surrounds two sides of Jerusalem. It's where the Jews would burn their refuse and sometimes worship demons. So I don't mean to make light of it. I'd be incredibly serious about it. For God tells us that he will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And so you see, I think before we enter the new Jerusalem, we're going to have to pass through that fire. We must pass through judgment, and yet Jesus says some of you already have. The eternal fire, the door, the way, the word that makes us clean, the fire. You see, surrender to the fire, and he fills you with his life. Resist the fire, and and it burns. I believe that this is the fire. This is the judgment of this world. This is where the burning hot fire of God's love consumes our darkness, our death, our hell, and our Sheol. On this tree, Jesus said it, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking of how he would die, he said, I will draw all men to myself. And so on that night, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. This is how we remember. Even in hell. Do some of you feel like you're in hell? You can talk to him. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. But now let me tell you. If you come to this table, you're surrendering. 
your hell to his love. And if you come to this table and you hang on to your hell, his love will burn you. His love is the kingdom of heaven. And so he wants you to come to his table, believe in his love, surrender to his love, and allow him to fill you, his temple, his people, his bride, his body. Let him descend into you and return to the Father as voices of praise and confession upon your tongue to the glory of the Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. Cups with ribbon are wine. Cups without the ribbon are juice. And they're both mercy, fire, life, the blood of Jesus. Amen. Lord God, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we proclaim it. Jesus, you win, don't you? In your name we praise you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. And now before you go, let me say that the sermon was, was long. And I also kind of got intense at parts because I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I'm not normally this intense if you're new, okay? I mean, maybe sometimes. But if you were to have lunch with me or something, I wouldn't be like this at all. I'm usually mostly insecure and mumble and don't have anything cogent to say, okay? So just, so it's, that's just the thing. And I'm saying that partly because uh, for some people out of certain church traditions, this is like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, for some people out of other church traditions, this is like, whoa, that's a paradigm shift. And there is a paradigm shift for some. And uh, I mean, you get clo you, the closer we get to God, the more our paradigm shifts all the time. And so there may be a lot of questions that you have. And that's great. You don't have to agree with everything I say. I mean, really what I want you to believe is that God loves you, okay? That's what I want you to believe. That's what I want you to walk away with. But if you have questions about some of the other stuff, I pulled together, I kind of re-edited a paper that I did for the Presbytery last year, and I called it, um, I didn't know what to call it, so I called it All Things New in a Place We Call Hell, because that's been the question in my mind for the last few years. God, how could, both of those things are in Scripture, how can they both be true? So if you want a copy of those, What's that, Francis? Oh, they're already gone? Okay, we, we'll make more next week. And also, if you want have questions, you can go on the website and look under theological concerns, and there's some places there we talk about it. But I'm going to go back to the chapel. So if you just want to, if you people want to just go back, if some people want to go back there and have questions or talk about it, that's great. Um, if not, uh, that's great. But whatever the case, would you believe it, that God loves you and... And I think this is what I'm trying to say. I think it's philosophically, categorically impossible for us to underestimate the love of God. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.